Hey, Shanna, did you know that you can purchase audiobooks directly from your local bookstore? Yes. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But with Libro FM, you get to search up your local indie bookstore and support them instead. And if you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to squeeze more reading into your busy life. I constantly have a book in my ear because cleaning the house or exercising is so much more fun while reading. Sign up for Libro.fm and use the code GOODBOOKS to get two books instead of one for the price of your first month's membership. Good books. Good books. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Book Club podcast. I'm Jen. And I'm Shanna. And today we will be discussing the short story, The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Earlier this week, we released an episode of me reading the entire short story for you. So if you haven't read it or want a refresher, you can just go listen to that. Yes. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) We highly recommend. I hope you like it. I recorded it twice. (laughs) (laughs) surprisingly hard to read a short story those audiobook narrators like oof. yeah it's a skill i actually though if anybody did like it please number one stroke my ego and number two if you did like it yeah let me know because i could definitely see doing more of the public domain books in the future if you guys mm-hmm. like this kind of a thing uh, i mean obviously short ones because i'm <laughs> <laughs> tired but yeah i wouldn't mind getting better at that and if you didn't like it don't tell us please don't <laughs> my ego can only take stroking yeah <laughs> okay so straight onto the book would you like to read the synopsis always a woman and her husband rent a summer house but what should be a restful getaway turns into a suffocating psychological battle This chilling account of postpartum depression and a husband's controlling behavior in the guise of treatment will leave you breathless. Um, Okay, so just a few things about the book. The Yellow Wallpaper is a semi-autobiographical short story written by Charlotte Perkins Gilman in 1892. I'm sorry, what was that? Charlotte? Charlotte? (laughs) I'm going to have to check the pronunciation on this because it's going to be a hard one. (laughs) Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. (laughs) Tough one. (laughs) If you missed it, Shanna can't pronounce it. Um, Yes, it was written in 1892. It is very short and very spooky. It chronicles a woman's experience with what we now know to be postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. We watch her mental health deteriorate after her physician husband puts her on a rest cure. She becomes obsessed with the yellow wallpaper in her room, and that obsession marks her descent into psychosis throughout the story. Uh, Yeah. Another interesting thing, like I had mentioned, is that it's in the public domain. So I ripped this quick little explainer of what that means just straight from Wikipedia. So don't think I wrote this. I'm just saying it. A public domain <laughs> a public domain book is a book with no copyright, a book that was created without a license, or a book where a copyright has expired or has been forfeited. Um, so in most countries, the term of protection of copyright expires on the first day of January, 70 years after the death of the latest living author. 
The longest copyright term is in Mexico, which has life plus 100 years for all deaths since July 1928. So basically, you write a thing, you die, 70 years goes by, and now it's everyone's. Which is so bizarre. Right? <laughs> um, but there's lots of, I think, um, oh, I'm going to tell you in a minute here. Uh, a notable exception is the United States, where every book and tale published before 1926 is in the public domain. American copyrights last for 95 years for books originally published between 1925 and 1978, if the copyright was properly registered and maintained. So, for example, the works of Jane Austen, Lewis Carroll, Muchado de Assis, Olivo Bilac, and Edgar Allan Poe. Whew. Oof. Now, those are some names that are hard to pronounce. A, a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so they're in the public domain worldwide, as they all died over 100 years ago. Uh, yeah, so Project Gutenberg and the Internet Archive make tens of thousands of public domain books available online as ebooks. That is where I read the story from. Yep. Yeah, you can find the story available for free in so many places on the internet. So we'll link a few in the show notes, so you can just click on over and read it for yourself if you haven't already. Uh, so about the author, Charlotte Perkins Gilman was born on July 3rd, 1860 in Hartford, Connecticut. When she was a baby, her father left. And because of this, she spent a lot of time with her three aunts who happened to be a suffragist, an educationalist, and Harriet Beecher Stowe, who was the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin. Which I still haven't read. Me neither. I have it. I haven't read it yet. Hmm. It was recommended to us by a friend, so. Yes, it was. Yes. So it is on the list. Uh, so her father came back into her life much later to give her a list of books he thought she should read. That's thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And also to pay for her to go to school at the Rhode Island School of Design. I mean, it's better than him showing up and not paying for her school and not having a bunch of cool books for her to read. <laughs> right? I mean, could be worse. <laughs> Could be better. Yeah, could be better. <laughs> um, so for years, starting when they were 16, she had an extremely close and notable relationship with a woman named Martha Luther, which is documented in letters spanning six years. They maintain that the relationship was very deep, but only platonic, but they stopped seeing each other when they both married men. Uh, I found a paper written by Abigail Rabinowitz on the Brown University Library website that goes through their relationship in a little bit more detail if anyone is interested. I will link it in the show notes. It was, it's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. In 1884, Charlotte married her husband, Charles Walter Stetson, and in the following year, their only child, Catherine, was born. This is when Charlotte suffered very seriously from postpartum depression, which was never properly treated and just worsened over the years. So in 1888, Charlotte spent some time away from her husband, and that's when her depression finally started to lift. Ah, uh, who is it? <laughs> um, there's an author. I'll say who it is down below, too. Don't let me forget. But I loved the quote of, before you diagnose somebody with depression, make sure they aren't surrounded by assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is a good piece of advice. Yeah. So <laughs> they decided to separate, which was pretty much unheard of and very difficult to do at that time. But they agreed that it was necessary for her mental health. 
and also kind of sounds like she might have been a lesbian. Yes, that's part of it, yeah. Yeah. And then in 1894, they officially divorced. Uh, I was going to do an impression of like wedding bells, except how do you do wedding bells in reverse? It's like the funeral march or something. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is. Uh, During the separation, Charlotte was in a serious relationship with a woman named Adeline Knapp. That relationship eventually came to an end, and Charlotte moved to Pasadena, California, where she became a feminist activist and began writing and editing a journal called The Bulletin. After their divorce, her ex-husband actually married one of her friends, Grace, and eventually she sent her daughter to live with them. Was it his Grace year? Sucka. So she talked about how she was happy for the couple and Grace was amazing and possibly even able to be a better mother to Catherine than she was. Probably a lot of that comes from being so badly depressed for so long, but mm-hmm. you know. She was actually very progressive in a lot of her thinking, including that around parental rights. And she just wholeheartedly believed that Catherine and her father had every right to develop good relationships with each other, which I feel like is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was an avid writer, and since her death is best known for her short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. She's Ooh. also... Woo! <laughs> She's also the author of some poetry collections, a writer of satirical poetry, and she toured the country giving lectures on women's issues, ethics, labor, human rights, and social reform. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> In 1903, she addressed the International Congress of Women in Berlin after writing a book called Women and Economics which discussed the role of women in the home and argued for changes in the usual roles of childbearing and housekeeping with the hope of being able to collectively expand outside those roles as women. That year, she also wrote the book called The Home, Its Work and Influence, which was basically an expansion of her previous book. In it, she talks about how women are often oppressed in their homes and that needs to change for their mental health. Should I just yell towards... My bedroom where my husband's sleeping. Hey, <laughs> have you heard of this book, The Home? <laughs> Just get it for him for Christmas. Uh, I I complain, but it's, <laughs> it's not too bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm on a year-long mat leave. I really shouldn't complain. <laughs> Between 1909 and 1916, she also wrote and edited her own magazine called The Forerunner. She is just publishing a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Which produced 86 issues and has about 15 and had about 1500 subscribers. She probably doesn't still have them. Probably <laughs> probably not. They're I'm sure they're dead. Yeah. But I feel like 1500 is pretty good mm-hmm. considering this was like you're just mailing out your magazine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit harder. But Charlotte remarried in 1900 to a man named Houghton? 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 Houghton. Don't know. Gilman. <laughs> At which I've read somewhere that was that he's her cousin, but You know, back then they love the, marrying their cousins. Yeah, they just do. So it's, it's I guess it's fine. Um <laughs> but I was surprised. Uh they lived for twenty two years in New York City and eventually they moved to Connecticut and then he died of a cerebral hemorrhage in nineteen thirty four. Which prompted her to move back to California where her daughter lived. And I mean he was their cousin, but apparently they were pretty happy, so uh, Does it make you double sad when they die? Because it's a cousin or because they're happy? No, because it was her husband and her cousin. 
<laughs> must, must. In 1932, she was diagnosed with incurable breast cancer. Oh, yeah, I know. She was a huge advocate of euthanasia, and so she chose to die by suicide on August 17th, 1935, by taking an overdose of chloroform so that she would go quickly and quietly. That has been popping up all over the place lately. It has. Hmm. Euthanasia is just, it's everywhere right now. <laughs> everything <laughs> that we're reading. All the rage yeah. in our current books. <laughs> Um, if you don't already know this story, you can go and listen to the episode where I read the entire thing for you, or click one of the links in the show notes to read it for yourself. We definitely recommend that you do one of those, because from this point on, this episode will contain spoilers. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to quickly add as well that that was a significantly longer author bio than we usually do. But I think it's because, I mean, authors now that just you, the only information is that they live in L.A. and they have a dog and a cat and a kid. And that's mm -hmm. all you know about them. And and this woman did a lot of stuff in her life. So and I feel like it's all pretty relevant, you know, to her brains and the story. Yeah. And if you like this one and now that you know a little bit more about how interesting she was, it's very cool to read more about her and her life. Cool yep. women doing cool stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, usually we give a pretty detailed account of what happens in the books that we read, but this one is a short story. So we're just going to do a quick overview and then move on to the discussion. Yeah, this is very short. It does not take long. It took me, I think it's like 45 minutes to read out loud. Basically, a woman and her husband go to stay at a nice vacation estate for three months after the birth of their baby while she is on a rest cure to rid her of the nervousness that has developed after the baby was born. She enjoys writing, but is told by her husband, John, <laughs> John, <laughs> who is also her doctor, which seems like a conflict of interest. Yeah, I don't think that's allowed. <laughs> not anymore. No. That it will only make her condition worse and that she must just rest as much as possible. So she hides it from everyone. Can you imagine just being told you have to lay in bed for three months and not write or do anything that makes you happy? Right? Like, Ugh. this is not the way that you handle postpartum depression. <laughs> Did she ever have the baby? I don't think so. Because she, she never said that she had the baby. She said the baby was good and it was being taken care of by Jenny, John's sister. We never... That was all we really heard of the baby. So... I would be very depressed if you yeah. didn't let me see my baby for the first three months I had my baby. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So rest cure was very commonly prescribed for a lot of women's problems, usually hysteria. Yeah. Have you tried sitting down and shutting up? Basically? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just try that and you'll be cured. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so they take a room in the attic that has a horrible yellow wallpaper, and she begs to move to a different room because she doesn't think that she can stand it, but John refuses. As time goes on, her mental health deteriorates quite quickly, going from depression to psychosis. She becomes convinced that there is a woman creeping behind the pattern of the wallpaper, and she becomes obsessed with watching it and watching her, the woman. She even starts seeing the woman creeping outside through the windows. She can see her best at night, so she sleeps most days and stays up all night watching and trying to figure it out. I loved it. This actually was my favorite part when she's talking about 
how difficult it must be to creep in the day. Like, <laughs> it must yeah. be so embarrassing. <laughs> so funny. Uh, yeah, that was that was pretty great. <laughs> a few days before it, they are going back home, and somehow John thinks that she's better. I don't know. <laughs> He's a terrible doctor. Do not hire John. <laughs> she knows, anyways, that before they leave, she has to release this woman from the walls. So she locks everyone out and begins to rip the wallpaper from the walls. And when John gets the door unlocked, he enters the room to find that his wife believes that she was the woman in the wallpaper and she's been released. He faints and she creepily crawls over him. I don't think that's how it ended. (laughs) (laughs) How did it end? So I believe she hung herself. Oh, really? Yes. I think that while he was locked out because she had only a rope, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that when he comes in, the reason that he faints is because she is die is. Oh, I'm going to have to reread that and just see if I can uh, can pick that because. I could be wrong, but that's how I read it. Yeah. that I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. Yes. Really? So I'm. I think she. I think she killed herself at the end. But that's sad. But I mean, she spent three months locked in a room, being not tortured by wallpaper. She became quite obsessed with it. But I don't know. Uh, it was upsetting. Yes. Yes. It was upsetting. I really liked it. Yeah, it was really good. It had this. Oh, I don't know the buildup of the wallpaper. And just, yeah, you could really feel the psychosis for how short the story was. She starts out being like, oh, this is, this is okay. It's not the worst. Even the room, she was like, you know, I don't really like it that much, but I think I can handle it. And then as the story goes on, you can just see she's starting to lose it bit by bit by bit. And then also the room is getting more and more creepy and like run down and, I don't know, just kind of really went like hand in hand with her like mental deterioration. Yes. But what kind of a doctor puts her in a room with bars on the window? Yeah, they described this as they said it was originally a nursery. And I just thought this sounds like somewhere. This sounds like a prison. This sounds this is where you lock people up. This is not where you put children. Right. Were and, children always climbing out of windows? Yeah, there's, there's supposed to be bars on the windows so the children don't fall out. I don't think that's a thing. I mean, it is a thing, but... I, I have Googled them because my yeah. children are wild. <laughs> yeah, but. it is a thing. But in this case, like, there's bars on the windows, wallpapers all being peeled off. There's just the only furniture in there was a bed that's nailed to the floor that's has, like, bite marks all over it. Um, there's, like, rings in the wall. Like, that kind of sounds like somewhere where you would chain someone up. That did sound like that, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, that's weird. Chain, like, rings on the walls. Uh, I mean, I know parenting has changed a lot, <laughs> but I don't know. Should we bring back rings on the walls? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, no, we shouldn't. <laughs> it did not sound like at all a place where children would be kept. So I don't know where that idea came from. It very much was a prison. And really mirrored her own mind. Uh, One interesting thing. um, So 
yeah, we said that this book was, uh, or this short story was um, semi-autobiographical. Charlotte, when she was suffering from her postpartum depression, her doctor, whose name was Silas Weir Mitchell, was the one who prescribed her the rest cure. And in this story, there's a line where John says, you better get better faster or I'm going to send you to Weir Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so she like slipped that in the story. And then apparently when the story was published, she actually mailed a copy to the doctor. Good. <laughs> yeah. Which I heard that some people said that after that he changed his practices and some people said that he didn't. So who knows? But I mean, back then he definitely didn't. He probably didn't. This lines up nicely with uh, the woman who could be silenced. Yes. I got huge woman they could not silence vibes from this story yeah if your husband can just send you to an insane asylum because you have postpartum depression no and i'm so glad i mean so women do have a tough time with the doctor sometimes i have an incredible doctor my doctor is a woman and she's so good for mental health she has kids uh she's i love her she's wonderful but imagine if she wasn't <laughs> yeah yeah I also have a really great doctor, but I also know that this hasn't exactly gone away. No. No, a lot of people suffer in silence, this type of stuff, because one, there's this huge stigma around motherhood and mental health. And two, if you tell the doctor and they're like, nah, just go lay down, you'll be fine. It's not going to get better. No, not at all. I mean, her husband wasn't great, but I didn't really, I didn't think he was... The worst, I mean, maybe just because when we read The Woman They Could Not Silence, or The Woman Who Could Not Be Silenced, what's it called? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> by Elizabeth Packard. <laughs> not by Elizabeth Packard, but... <laughs> She's the woman who could not be silenced. <laughs> she was, yeah. By um, Kate Moore. That husband, Theo, was horrible. He was the worst. He was the worst. So compared to him, John isn't that bad. I did kind of feel like he, he, he thought he was doing the right thing. And he wasn't, but I think he did genuinely care about her. But yeah, it, it wasn't there one night when they were talking together that she started telling him how she felt, and he was like, "Oh, don't say those words." Yeah. Oh, little goose. Oh, I remember when he <laughs> called her a little goose. Or there was one where he called her a little girl. Mm. Yeah. So not great. Not great. But oh, you know what I was wanted to mention? You had said before that when I read this <laughs> I what? thought you were gonna say postpartum depression. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> no. Okay, well you had said before that when I read this story that I would notice um a connection with Mexican Gothic. Ah I think you said that. That sounds like me. I'm very smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless I just came up with it on my own, but <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I mean, I've read so many books. I've said so many things. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> but yeah, in Mexican Gothic, like these mushrooms are in the house and they're giving off their spores and it's going through the walls and it's connecting everything. And oh, yes. that happens in the story in the wallpaper. Like they see fungi and it's... The bulging eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely a little bit of a... Action plus the one woman in Mexican Gothic is definitely on a rest cure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, so. yeah. I'm wondering how many times I've read things 
that have been inspired by this story and just not known because yeah. I didn't read it until early this year. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I'd ever read it. Yeah. And actually, when I was reading A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, they reference it quite a lot and they actually gave like a full kind of even more than a synopsis of the story they (laughs) spoiled the story but in that book they said that at the end she was crawling all over her husband's dead body but he wasn't dead oh maybe yeah i don't maybe there are different interpretations because i'm honestly i cannot say for sure that she killed herself I read it as she killed herself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like actually at the time I Googled it a bunch to be like, did she kill herself at the end? And I think that there was a camp that agreed with me that she did and others who were less sure. Yeah. So. Well, this book seemed pretty sure that he was a dead body. When I read it, he was very much just fainted. Maybe he had a heart attack and died later. And maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I, that's what I was expecting. And then I got to the end, I was like, oh, I guess it didn't spoil it because they were wrong. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, it was super creepy. And I didn't really know anything going into it. I didn't know it was going to be about postpartum depression. And I was pregnant with my third at the time. So I was also just picking up pregnancy stuff everywhere and i was just Mm -hmm. reading that into everything but then it became quite clear that yes this was in fact about postpartum depression yeah definitely yeah i really enjoyed it i want to read it again i think it's a quick read it's quick i've read it a bunch of times now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll listen to your recording a couple times i'll listen to some other people's recordings a couple times yeah it was really good i really loved it and as a classic the language wasn't too out there yeah there's a, a few words mm-hmm. a few but thousand thousand <laughs> words <laughs> uh anybody who did go and listen to my recording please appreciate when i said the word thousandth mm, that was pretty mm. good yeah it took me like 400 takes because it turns <laughs> out that is the most difficult world mm, word in the english <laughs> language <laughs> other than Word, of course. Other word is also pretty rough. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad you really liked it. Yeah, I give it five stars for a short story. Mm-hmm. Yep. I yeah. love that it has history. I love that it's free. I love that it brings attention to a serious issue that at the time didn't even have a name. So she was ahead of the curve. I love that it was spooky and creepy and it was really well written. Yeah, highly recommend. She really rocked the the like atmosphere of the story. Yeah. It's a great one. Yeah, all right. Oh yeah, five stars. From me too. Sweet. <laughs> okay. So that's that. And I just want to give you guys a reminder about book club. We are reading Carrie by Stephen King. We are going to be posting discussion questions on our Facebook and Instagram starting on October twentieth. So get reading so that we can talk about this book with you. Uh, you can find us at best underscore book club everywhere, or even just send us an email at best underscore book club at outlook.com. Otherwise, we are going to see you next week for what we're reading and other stuff. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to tell you which spooky books we recommend you read immediately, among other things. But otherwise, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
Otherwise, we are going... <coughs> I am dead. <laughs> Rescue. Uh, yeah, killed me. Uh, it's okay, I just got my spooky voice on. <laughs> this is your third recording tonight, so... <laughs> That's way too much talking for me.